This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is a Skin Spectrum podcast. It's Yadav on Acne with Dr. Gita Yadav. Based on recent publications from the clinical literature, Dr. Yadav provides brief synopses of recent significant clinical developments in acne research, and provides her observations and comments to accompany each report. In each episode, Dr. Yadav will answer questions, and offer her expert observations and anecdotes on treating this disease. If you have a question for Dr. Yadav, or want to be in touch at any time, just send an email to yadav at chronicle.org. That's why A-D-A-V at chronicle.org. And, if you attach a voice clip, we might even use your question on an upcoming episode. Support for this podcast comes from Cypher Pharmaceuticals. Cypher is a specialty pharmaceutical company with a robust and diversified portfolio of commercial and early to late stage products. Cypher currently markets dermatology products directly in Canada, and indirectly through partners in Canada, the US, and South America. Visit them at cypherpharma.com. And now, here's John Evans. Thanks, Leona. Welcome to the Yadav on Acne podcast, Dr. Gita Yadav. I'm John Evans, Senior Editor at the Chronicle of Skin and Allergy. In this second episode, Dr. Yadav will be considering the question of whether or not teledermatology is an effective approach for the treatment of patients with acne. Our first study reports the long-term results of telemedicine visits from a single acne clinic. The authors found that almost half of their patients preferred telemedicine visits, even when pandemic restrictions had lifted and in-person visits were permitted. Welcome back, Dr. Yadav. The last two years have really driven telemedicine forward. What's been your experience with telemedicine for acne and how does it compare with the clinicians in this report? Hi, John. Thanks for having me back. What a treat to chat again about this really interesting topic and moving it into the context of what we've all been kind of working through and living through for the last couple of years. My experience with telemedicine is similar and different to the letter to the editor that we're referring to today. I think the last two years have shown us that we can be more flexible with medicine and provide excellent care through different formats. I would say I still feel the initial diagnosis for my patients is helpful to have in person so that I have the confidence of what I'm treating. I think with diseases like acne, or rosacea that are a little bit more common, possibly easier to diagnose, I would feel more comfortable doing that diagnosis virtually or with photographs or video. And in this letter to the editor, the clinician sort of described that patients were happy about their treatment, that about half of them chose to continue with in-person visits and half of them with virtual visits. So there really is broad patient preference out there in terms of how patients chose to proceed with follow-up when pandemic restrictions were lifted and in-person visits sort of picked up in this kind of medical setting. I think when I focus in on acne as a disease state, I think about the patient population, they tend to be younger. I'm noticing that a lot of my patients are in school. And so for them, it's more convenient and easy to do their follow-ups by phone because it means they don't have to come into my clinic and wait in my waiting room. And so I do think that the 
patient preference definitely varies by age and by disease state. I think for acne, it's really great that we can have another way to kind of manage our patients and to be able to offer them different therapeutic options easily. Our next study looks at the clinical features of acne cases that presented to primary care and were assessed through asynchronous teledermatology. Uh, what was your take on the study, Dr. Yadav? I found this study really interesting, John, because it actually sort of looked at two different things. I think the first was being able to characterize acne in a way that we haven't been able to do before because they looked at you know over 2,500 images to define disease characteristics such as hyperpigmentation associated with sex, age, and a bunch of other factors. And the second was actually being able to communicate the benefit of having access to teledermatology in terms of being able to, first of all, provide patients with more access to dermatologic care, but second of all, to mitigate the need for in-person visits, which can certainly be a deterrent to care, especially depending on where patients live and, and wait times and other factors. So in terms of some of the takeaway points from this article on the characteristics of acne, interestingly, one of the features of acne, the authors noted to be more common in women or female patients was post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and atrophic scarring being more common in male patients. And seeing that difference of PIH in females versus males and atrophic scarring is in males versus females, I think adds up for me clinically in terms of my experience, but isn't something I've seen characterized in the literature before. And in terms of access, I think that would definitely be in keeping with what we've all experienced during this pandemic for the last couple of years is that having access to photographs, being able to provide patients with follow-up visits and dermatologic care in that way has been easier for many, especially again, that younger population and those who need frequent follow-ups. I personally treat many of my patients with systemic therapy for acne, such as oral isotretinoin. And I do find that those patients need closer follow-up and being able to do it via teledermatology makes it more flexible for them and for me to fit it into my schedule. Our third study is a review of the literature comparing in-person to teledermatology consults for acne. Dr. Yadav, what did you think about the findings of this study? The takeaway from this study is definitely in keeping with, again, our, I think my clinical experience over the last couple of years, which is that telemedicine, teledermatology provides a high level of satisfaction to patients as well as doctors in the right setting and the right context. And certainly in treating acne, that holds true, probably even more so than other disease states. This sort of review looked at many different papers that did a PubMed search to see sort of what's been published out there in terms of patient satisfaction and safety issues and efficacy of telemedicine and concluded that, you know, telemedicine is very well accepted and often desired by patients and an important part of how we practice medicine. I would sort of add, you know, one of the things that's touched on briefly is the type of population. And we've talked certainly about the younger populations or patients that require frequent follow-up. But one area that I haven't mentioned yet, and it's important to highlight is access by rural populations. You know, there's only one dermatologist for every 53,000 people in Ontario. And I often try to remind my patients of that statistic. We're not evenly distributed across the province. And so we have many communities in Ontario and in Canada where access is a real issue and access to specialty care means that certain populations aren't treated adequately. And we know that the longer you wait to treat acne, 
severe acne can lead to sequelae that's permanent, scarring, self-esteem, suicide. There's lots of poor outcomes uh, for patients with severe disease who aren't managed adequately. So I think finding a way to really leverage teledermatology, especially for patients who require that kind of access, is something that we need to continue to work on and should build on our lessons learned from the last couple of years. So I can give you the Ontario perspective with some certainty, but to get another perspective on today's topic, we reached out to Dr. Wayne Gulliver. Dr. Gulliver is a St. John's Newfoundland and Labrador-based dermatologist in clinical practice for more than 30 years. He has participated in or is currently supervising more than 250 clinical trials covering many aspects of dermatology. Anybody in our field knows Dr. Gulliver by name, if not in person, he's a real force within our specialty. And it's my pleasure to ask him the following question. So Dr. Gulliver, could you give our listeners three tips for effectively managing acne patients through teledermatology? During these times of COVID, if there's one dermatological disease that lends itself to being treated via virtual medicine, it is acne. Now, my rule is to see the patient for the initial consultation and then manage the rest of the uh, treatment virtually. So I see the patient, assess their acne, and make the determination of which therapy they need. Telemedicine lends itself very well to managing severe acne. Dr. Gulliver, John Evans here. I was wondering, how do you see managing severe acne patients virtually with oral isotretinoin? So they have their virtual visit. They then get their blood work done. The virtual visit allows me to discuss their blood work, answer any questions with respect to adverse events related to treatment. Then we prescribe the drug. We see them virtually again in about eight weeks. By that time, they've had their second set of blood work, manage any adverse events, prescribe the second course, which would be another eight weeks. And then after that, set up an appointment either virtually or in clinic for six months. So when it comes to managing acne, my three tips are see the patient in the clinic for the first visit, then do the second two visits virtually having their blood work in front of you, knowing uh, how to manage any adverse events. And the third tip is to see them in clinic for the follow-up visit. So over the period of a year, two in-clinic visits, two virtual visits, and you have your patients cured of their acne, especially the moderate to severe. Now for our popular section on acne myths and trends. The first comes from No Beauty, No Brains on TikTok. She says that a homemade facial mask of apple cider vinegar and bentonite clay cleared her acne. Comments, Dr. Yada? I think apple cider vinegar seems to make its appearance in every single dermatologic condition that I have treated because I don't know, it makes its way around the internet. It makes its way around home remedies. It's easy to access. Uh, When I think about how or why this might help, I guess the one thing I can say about bentonite clay or these types of ingredients would be they are a bit desiccating and drying. And so they may give the artificial appearance of reducing inflammation or making acne maybe less prominent looking temporarily. But 
Could it clear acne? I think highly unlikely. Like the mechanism of action behind these treatments doesn't sort of add up to what we know as being the driving forces behind acne's pathophysiology. I definitely understand the appeal of over-the-counter remedies, but I think if you have access to a board-certified dermatologist, it would be my recommendation to at least get an opinion, you know, for patients who may be listening to this podcast. And, you know, for my colleagues, I think we're all on the same page when we sort of say that evidence-based medicine is the only kind of medicine. Lainey Lulu on TikTok is one of several individuals who say tanning can help clear acne, other than the obvious concerns about skin cancer, photoaging, and other solar damage. What would you say to that approach? There's actually some literature about the effect of ultraviolet radiation on acne. And so what I would say is in a daylight kind of context, one third of people will say that their acne gets better going out in the sun. One third of people say it gets worse and one third of people say it has no change. And so I think in terms of tanning, helping to clear acne, we do use a medical light, narrow wavelength of light to treat acne with a supplemental medication. So there's evidence behind that, but tanning beds are unregulated, uncalibrated light. I kind of consider them like cancer sticks that you put yourself into. The downsides sort of so significantly outweigh any potential benefit that I would not recommend that to my patients as an over-the-counter or at-home kind of remedy. I think the risks are significant. They've been well-established. Tanning beds have been identified as a carcinogen by the World Health Organization. So it's a big no in my books for a bunch of reasons. Moon X Bliss on TikTok suggests that the location where acne lesions appear are an indication of the cause of that acne. For instance, she suggests that acne on the forehead is a result of lack of sleep. Chin acne arises from stress or hormone imbalance. Or acne on the hairline is a sign of using too much makeup. How much truth is there to this idea, if any? As dermatologists and scientists, we have a very good understanding of the pathogenesis of acne and the driving factors behind the formations of acneiform lesions on the face. There are definitely exacerbating factors. For example, sweat or occlusion. I've seen patients, young hockey players who find that they break out where their helmet sits against their forehead. An individual who might wear a baseball cap, finding that again, because of the occlusion, sweating, the friction that they get more acneiform lesions sort of right around the hairline. But in terms of lack of sleep driving acne in a certain location, again, lack of sleep would affect your entire body. And so it doesn't make sense that you would only develop acne in a certain location. Certainly hormonal acne, we do tend to see that a little bit more in the jawline area. But when I say hormonal acne, what I mean is maybe patients who have an androgen excess or a high sensitivity to androgens, maybe a patient with polycystic ovarian syndrome. But we know that androgen sensitivity is a driving force for all acne and the degree to which just varies by patient. And so I wouldn't sort of suggest that location determines the cause. I would say that certain things can trigger or exacerbate existing underlying pathogenesis of acne. And so being mindful of that and avoiding those triggers, if you can, certainly is helpful, but definitely consulting with a board certified dermatologist can kind of help you get that on hand. And rather than stopping playing hockey, you know, maybe finding an alternative solution uh, to managing that acne. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Yadav. Listeners, if you have comments or questions for Dr. Yadav, send them over. Send an email to health at chronicle.org and add a voice clip attachment to your questions, then you might appear in a future episode of this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues. You can subscribe at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced in cooperation with Cypher Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. I'm John Evans, Senior Editor at Chronicle Companies. Your host has been Dr. Gita Yadav, Founder and Director of Skin Science Dermatology in Toronto, and a general medical and cosmetic dermatologist. We'll talk again next time.